Listening to the other 75 takes of this podcast that I've attempted to do in the past hour, one thing I can say for sure is I could definitely hear the sound of me breathing in a lot more loudly than I would like to. It sounds like I have emphysema or something, and I don't. My lungs are in perfect health, but either way, I have to deal with the technological limitations at hand here. One of the reasons I think I've been stumbling over my thoughts here and hitting stop and just redoing this podcast again and again and again is because the main thing on my mind has to do with sort of this meta issue of why am I doing the podcast in the first place? Why am I doing this website in the first place? A lot of times I think, well, maybe I should change the name of it. Maybe I should just nuke the whole thing and start from scratch. And if I reflect on the origins of the whole Integral Health Resources project, it started back in 2010-ish as a response to an integrative health coaching training that I did at Duke. Duke Integrative Medicine is part of the Duke Medical School, and at that time they were trying to basically invent a new profession called integrative health coaching. And the idea was they wanted to have somebody else on the healthcare team, other than the the doctors, the nurses, and all that, that would specialize in behavioral health, uh, behavior change, somebody that could work with a patient after the doctor has seen them and prescribed a course of action, say, you know, you're going to need to change your diet, you're going to need to exercise, you're going to have to work on this behavior, and these thought patterns, and then instead of just the doctor just turning a person loose and that person inevitably struggling to enact all those things, a health coach would be a person that would follow up with them either on the phone or weekly meetings and really help them get into the nitty-gritty of changing their behaviors. This model appealed to me because as a counselor, mental health professional, type of guy for years, I was definitely interested in behavior change and personal transformation in general, but I was struggling with the mental health field in general. It's just, uh, there's so many aspects of the mainstream mental health profession that drive me nuts, for lack of a better word. I mean, obviously, This is the 20th or so episode of this podcast, and most of the topics on the other ones have been me just ranting about things that I can't stand about mainstream mental health philosophy and practice and so forth. So being super frustrated with all that, I thought this new thing, this integrative health thing, was going to be an escape route for me. It's going to be something else that I might be able to do professionally. And I really got into the idea for a while, and I was going to start my own business and call it Integral Health Resources and and move in that direction. But I ran into uh, some obstacles, and I've I've run into these same obstacles multiple times in my life, where you're left doing this new profession that doesn't really exist, doesn't really have you know, professional licensure, at least at that time it didn't. It might have some sort of licensure now, 
uh, it's because it's been seven years after I took the the course at Duke. But at that time, you were just expected to go out and sort of create your own thing. It, it was very similar to when uh, years before that, I was interested in a form of body work called somatic education. I did some training in that. And again, it, this isn't a thing that anybody outside of those small circles knows what it is. So, uh, you know, people know what a massage therapist is. People know what, you know, um, a physical therapist is. But this other thing is essentially, you know, something that was just made up by the people like me that were interested in it. And if you try to go out and do that professionally, you are essentially having to just start your own private practice through word of mouth and it's like teaching guitar lessons or something, you know, you're just out there doing it on your own and trying to get clients and building up a practice that could, that could take years to do. There's a lot of uncertainty and someone like myself who at that time when I was into the somatic education thing, I was so much in debt from graduate school and college and things that I just didn't really have the luxury of not having an income coming in. So I'd always have a full-time job and then try to do these things on the side. And then I'd eventually run out of energy. And maybe I just never really had the courage to dive deeply into it enough. I don't know. Because it is a pattern that's repeated itself for me. I played in a band also for years. And again, it was always on the side as I had a full-time job. And I just eventually would just get so tired that the way I would deal with the sense of not loving my job is just quitting and trying to reinvent myself, inevitably running into obstacles and then returning to a safe full-time job because essentially because I needed the money. So I'm basically in the same boat now. Um, the integral health thing, again, I, it never took off because I just didn't see a way forward to making money. And I eventually went back to graduate school, got a second master's degree, and now I'm working as a counselor for the school district. I've been doing this now for just less than a year, about a semester and a half. And now I'm working in a high school, which isn't ideal. I was hoping to get a job at an elementary school. That's where I did my internship in graduate school. And I really did enjoy that. I still had a lot of doubts about whether it was going to be my thing, but I did enjoy it. And when I got out of graduate school, there was no positions open at elementary school. So I took the only jobs that were open, which was, which were high school positions, knowing that I probably wasn't really going to love it, that it wasn't going to be my thing. And that turns out to be obviously true at this point, being as into it as I am. Because the high school counselors, at least where I live, we do very little counseling. We're, we're scheduling classes, that sort of thing that we're, really involved in, at least in, on a day-to-day -day basis, a lot of tasks that any administrative assistant type person could do as easily as someone trained in counseling. You do very little counseling. I would say 10% of the job is counseling and 90% of it is scheduling classes and paperwork and all this nonsense that I just, it, it just doesn't have enough meaning for me. And so again, I've been trying to do things on the side, like this podcast and other things, trying to figure out a way out, a way to someday have that 
that thing that I'm doing where I'm, I'm making money doing something that I actually enjoy and, and I'm passionate about. And this is an incredibly elusive thing for me. And so I'm on spring break. I've had the week off. I've been engaging in my creative projects again, which is always inspiring. I've been doing some writing, uh, playing some music, doing some podcasting. I have this podcast and also another one where I focus more on my creative process and music and things like that. So I'm, I'm dipping my toes back in those waters again. But I'm, I'm forever faced with, uh, with this question, what, what am I really doing? What am I going to do with this? And Integral Health Resources, in addition to starting as a sort of an outgrowth from this health coaching training, uh, it used to be just one little tab on a different website that was just all my interests put together. Music, creative writing, somatic education, body work, psychology, philosophy, mental health. So I just had it all in one place. And sometimes I think, should I go back to doing that? Why am I, why am I trying to do two separate podcasts, two separate blogs? Uh, why don't I just put it all together again and just let it be what it is? Another side of me is like, no, 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 you want to keep these avenues separate. Let's let's keep trying to find our, our point of view here. And it seems like increasingly my point of view has to do with um, railing against the mainstream mental health system. This is one of the main reasons why I feel like I need to get out of the counseling field and do something different as I just keep banging my head against the same stuff. It's very difficult to go through a master's program, for instance, where you disagree fundamentally with so much of what you're learning, so much of the perspective of what mental health is and what psychological disorders are and all the stuff about diagnosis and the DSM and everything that I am always ranting about. I mean, you don't have to take it all in wholesale uh, when you're going, you know, through a program like that. But it's it's so hard. It's such a struggle to work out in the world where most of your coworkers and all the structures that you're trying to work within are based on points of view that you just fundamentally disagree with. So this is always the difficult thing for me. So I don't I don't know. Um, if I just keep pushing forward in this direction and try to find like-minded people and, um, actually just this week stumbled across a new YouTube channel called psychology tube. And it's a young man named Jonathan. I don't know much about him. He, he seems like a, a young guy and he's talking about a lot of the same themes that I've talked about on this podcast and that I've written about on the website, uh, things like questioning the definition of mental illness and uh, questioning a lot of the dogma in psychiatry and psychology and the mental health field about just how to look at problems of feeling and thinking and behaving and how, you know, how we're going to respond to those problems as professionals. And it's interesting is just immediately I'm looking in the in the YouTube comment section of this guy's videos and 
you see all the same reactions, just people objecting that to question whether or not, you know, the medical model of disease and illness is an appropriate way to look at people's problems and distress, that to do that is akin to discounting people's suffering. And people are so attached to this idea that, you know, they have a disease or an illness and the notion that, you know, that model reduces stigma. And I mean, all these things can be argued against. But when you see someone else putting out similar arguments to the ones that you put out and and you just see the response and you just know, sometimes I just think, you know, what is the point of this? People are never going to to get this. They're just too attached to the way things are, the incentives and the structure of the mental health field, the whole complex of, you know, pharmaceuticals and medical industries all coming together to to make make things the way that they are. It's just, it's got too much momentum. It, you're just pissing in the wind thinking that you're ever going to get beyond any of this. And I definitely think that, but it's also heartening to see that there are other people that uh, agree with me, essentially. And, and these are the things that, that drive me nuts. It's like, is it all just about this confirmation bias? Like, we just want everyone to agree with us, and we get frustrated when people don't agree. And maybe that's the whole, maybe that's really the whole reason I'm doing what I'm doing, is I just want to be validated. I want my perspective to be to be validated. I'm not sure. I actually, I've been writing in the mornings before I go to work, just 15 minutes a day, and I've been making a little bit of a progress that way, which has been interesting. But the the latest blog post that I just started working on, so I mean, I've not put a whole lot of thought into this. Uh, um, right now, it's called "Legitimate Criticism of Scientific Authority in the Age of Trump," and the idea is you're kind of in a pickle when you're you're trying to question mainstream scientific authority like I'm doing here and like this Jonathan fellow is doing on his psychology tube. You're questioning scientific authority, what the, the main experts in a given field are saying. For instance, you know, that mental illness is a disease or addiction is a disease and, um, you know, a, a brain disorder, that sort of stuff. You're, you're, questioning conventional wisdom but at the same time that feels like you're playing right into this this um, post-truth universe we all find ourselves in that's sort of personified by Donald Trump and his his presidency where you know everything's fake news you can't trust anything unless you know you agree with it that type of thing so I and, and I don't know exactly how to to deal with that, because I think you need to obviously criticize dogma, but you don't want also to throw the baby out with the bathwater and just have people use the same arguments you're using to criticize scientific authority to just say science is bunk in general and that, you know, there's no reason to, to trust scientists or authority figures in any field so that any belief that some dope throws out is just as good as any other belief. So here's here's the first paragraph of the piece I'm working on and 
um, I'm hoping I'm able to carry this to some place that makes sense. Quote, More and more it seems to me that we are living in a world where a critical mass of people lack the necessary critical thinking skills to engage in reasonable discussions about the most important issues of our time. This is a big problem. There is a long-lost territory known as reasonable disagreement that used to be a starting place for dialogue and engagement and understanding the various perspectives that intelligent, sensitive humans can hold. But in order to get to that hallowed, fertile ground of reasonable disagreement, we must presuppose reason, for we can't hope to transcend the limits of the tool without using it to its full potential first. So the question becomes, how do we have constructive dialogue, or how can we make it so that when we're expressing our perspectives, like I do here, that it's leading to something effective, that it's not just, you know, pushing someone further back into their camp and you kind of get into this shouting match and everybody gets sort of triggered. And I don't really know the answer to that. Um, I can say, again, just from uh, looking at people's responses to others who've advanced similar viewpoints to mine, you can very easily predict the type of reaction you're going to get. So when you make the point that the disease model of addiction or the brain disease model of mental illness in general is not a good way of looking at the problem and it's not a good way of moving towards solutions, you inevitably are going to get a strong pushback, both from people that are entrenched in the systems and people whose jobs you know, depend on that model, other mental health workers, for instance, or psychiatrists or researchers or people that are, you know, firmly in that system and who, you know, whose very livelihoods would be threatened if we completely changed things around the way I would want them to be changed around. So you get pushback from there and you'll also get pushback from people who feel that they've been helped by the current system. So someone who feels incredible relief that their quote-unquote disease has been diagnosed because now they they can put a name to it and they don't feel they're stigmatized or looked at as being mentally weak that kind of thing so I understand that it's it's tricky territory but still you would think that it's you can make the point that the disease metaphor or the medical model of looking at psychological problems is not a valid one without invalidating people's personal experience. It seems easy enough to do that, but no matter how careful you are, it seems that you know it's it's very easy to trigger that. It's like if you try to criticize anything that people have an emotional attachment to, if you are an atheist and you're criticizing religion in general, and I mean, of course, you can't expect a person to just um, scratch their head and say, oh, gee, I never thought of that, and I guess I'll give up uh, the religion that I've been a part of for the last 30 years. 
So these are these are inherently difficult things, and I guess all you can do is try to continue to make your points and try to listen to other points. Also, try to really make a good faith effort to validate other people's perspectives. At least you don't have to agree with them, but understand where they're coming from. If you take this to the political realm, and we certainly, it seems like we live in this post-truth world now where everything that you don't agree with, you can simply label fake news or um, that kind of thing, that you can you can still argue your points passionately without dehumanizing or calling your uh, opponents idiots. Even calling them opponents, I guess, is, is wrong. But you could see, if you're someone like me who doesn't think that Donald Trump is a great choice for president, it certainly doesn't help to just say, hey, anyone that voted for him is a moron. And that attitude is maybe partially responsible for Trump being in office to begin with, is that there, you know, there are plenty of people on the left that um, didn't take uh, Trump supporters seriously and didn't make any attempt to see things from their perspectives when you're looking at, you know, uh, working class folks in the Midwest that whose uh, jobs and stuff were devastated by an economic downturn. Um, people just assumed that if you like Trump, then, you know, you were just a bigot or a dope or something like that, and you couldn't actually have, you know, a real situation that you were reacting to. Um, and people, you know, when you don't give other people benefit of the doubt, of course you're going to sort of raise your fists and get into this this battle mode. So I don't know. I think um, looking at um, the Psychology Tube channel, this this guy Jonathan who did his videos, I think he did a very good job of uh, laying out his case. What I especially appreciate about the way he's doing his YouTube videos is he's making a lot of citations. He he cites every point that he makes. He has a citation for. It. He even shows on the screen the articles that he's using, and he quotes from them. And at the end, he has a detailed reference list that someone can can look up. That helps because one of the things that's really frustrating is is listening to, to people just spout on and on without any reference to anything. I had mentioned this um, in a prior blog or a podcast that I go to these mental health trainings as part of my job and so often the speaker will just throw things out there as if they're just self-evidently true like you know addiction is a disease and and they'll even make references you know all the research shows x y and z without ever saying what that research is and and these things are are frustrating to me and make dialogue really impossible because if you're not going to make any effort to establish a a, sort of a common base of facts that that people can use to you know support or dispute their arguments. Uh, it, it's pretty difficult. So anyway, this guy does a really good job of that. He lays everything out very clearly. Uh, he puts out all the caveats, um, trying to be as sensitive as possible. But still, you can see even he's got a brand new channel and and there's not that many comments. But you could see people are immediately pushing back on the same predictable ways. So I don't know. This is definitely um, going to be a theme that I'm going to be continue to pursue on this podcast. I think it matters 
I think we really do need to change the way that we look at quote unquote mental health. Uh, I think the way that we're doing it now is causing a lot of unnecessary harm and it's, uh, you know, we're not helping people the way we could be helping people. So I'm going to continue to try to make some of the same points that I have been making on this podcast. I'm glad that there are other people out there making the same noises. Whether or not I continue uh, to call this uh, integral health resources or it morphs into something else, I'm not sure. I have some other some other interests that aren't just tearing down mainstream psychology and, and mental health professions. I also am very interested in the study of attention. Um, I, I've never heard really the term attentionology. It's, it seems like a mouthful, but it's maybe even more of an area of interest to me than psychology in the sense that just studying the ways that we use attention, what, what attention is, um, different strategies for you know, redirecting attention, I, I feel like that inquiry is really at the heart of what interests me about changing behavior patterns or changing subjective experiences. And I'd, I'd like to expand on some of that, you know, to, to take things in a more uh, positive direction. That's why I have, you know, an interest in mindfulness and um, somatics, like I said, which is a form of uh, body work. So there, there are lots of different directions I want to take things instead of just constantly ranting against the mental health system. But because that's where I'm at now, you know, I still think it's, it's important that there are more voices that are calmly and rationally trying to discuss these things and compassionately, you know, because I really do, especially as someone who's worked in the profession and seen people in psychiatric hospitals and worked with clients who are in profound states of distress, you know, I'd be the last person to deny the reality of um, a schizophrenic's experience or someone who's severely depressed because I've seen it. And it is when you work in settings where you see people at the very extremes of suffering, it is easy to say, wow, there's just, just something going on in this person's brain, you know? And, and I'm not even discounting that that couldn't be true. Uh, it's just um, looking at, th- uh, at mental health problems in general through that lens is highly problematic for you know, so, so many of the reasons that I've already talked about ad, no- ad nauseum here. So. so I don't know. I don't know that I've actually covered... Uh, a specific topic in this episode. I think I just need to work out in my own mind what I'm doing here as I continue to sort of try to discover what my viewpoint is, um, what's my point of view, what, what's what's my angle going to be on things. And of course, that's going to continue to evolve. And I'm the, I definitely find it useful to think out loud about these things to blog about it um somebody said and I'm, I'm not sure who that writing is a good way to discover what one is thinking and sometimes you don't know what you're thinking until you write it down or speak it so for me it, it just helps clarify things to express myself 
And um, even though I haven't done anything to promote this podcast or much, uh, it's still worth it for me. So I'm going to continue to try to get better at it. If anybody finds anything of value, you can always contact me via the Integral Health Resources website. Uh, I'm also on Twitter at Integral underscore health. And um, yeah, you can, any questions or feedback you might, you give me, I'd be happy to discuss those on a future episode. And, you know, I I definitely enjoy dialoguing with um, like-minded and even unlike-minded folks, as long as the discussion is civil. So anyway, I think that's going to be it for now. I'm going to do my best to continue to do this more regularly. And until next time, take care.